0: Warning Today's podcastle contains a dragon, a talking bird, and school. If there's any kids around, tell them it's story time. Podcastle one twenty four for september twenty eighth, twenty ten. Squonk and the Horde of Apprentices by PM Butler rated G. Welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and earlier today I took my daughter to her very first day of kindergarten. Well, today my time. By the time this episode goes live and you all hear this, she'll have been in kindergarten for about a month. Wow, the Podcastle time zone is a bizarre one. Even thinking about her in kindergarten for a month makes me a little dizzy and misty-eyed. Mostly, though, I'm happy and proud of her. She's been in preschool for three years now, and so she handled being dropped off at kindergarten like a seasoned veteran. Her kindergarten teacher did an excellent job of getting all her new children excited about learning. About the magic of going to school. As soon as the children put on their name tags and sat on the rug, she raised her hand and asked, who's excited to be here at kindergarten? All the kids' hands shot up in the air because when you're that age, learning stuff and going to school is fun, right? I did note that none of the parents raised their hands. Maybe they were all too busy catching their breath and wiping their eyes. Today's story also starts off in a school of sorts. It's about a grumpy wizard and his first-ever class of students. It's with great pleasure that we present for you this week Squonk and the Horde of Apprentices by P.M. Butler. A lot of you may be familiar with Squonk from his previous adventures. Squonk the Dragon and Squonk the Apprentice, both featured on Escape Pod. Early on in PodCastle's infancy, it was thought that the Squonk stories might stay at Escape Pod, But after talking about it some more, Murr, Anna, and I decided we didn't want to get dragons at any one science fiction. Um, Unless they were the space dragons of Barsoom, but hey, I'm sure we'll get there soon enough, right? For me, this is especially sweet, because Squonk the Dragon was the very first story I listened to at Escape Pod. I remember listening to it on my commute into work, grinning like an idiot at Steve and Anna's fantastic narration of it. That was the very first podcast story I listened to, and it was so sweet and charming, and yes, magical, I fell in love. And bam, just like that, I had a new commute ritual. When I got home that night, I went back and downloaded all the escape pod files in the iTunes library. I subscribed to Pseudopod and grabbed the three or four stories that had gone live at the time. And that, my friends, is how I've come to have a backlog of 638 unlistened-to podcasts on my computer. But who's counting, right? So, I'm curious, do you remember your first escape artist story? Squawk author P.M. Butler lives near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he writes software, plays games, and listens to the owls. The owls do not give good advice. You can find them online at BlairHippo.com. After writing the Triangulation anthology series for three years, he passed the reins on, but... Since he's such a sweet guy, he asked us to mention that the newest edition, End of the Rainbow, is out now and available from Amazon. It features stories by Peter S. Beagle, Cat Rambo, and Yuji Foster. Podcastle favorite Wilson Folley is the one who will be taking you back to the classroom this week. Wilson conducts a local amateur show choir in Vancouver called the Maple Leaf Singers, which you can find online at maple-leaf-singers.com. He describes himself as an ordinary choir-conducting, software-developing, formerly amateur speech-making, husband-slash-dad-of-two-kids kind of guy. I know the feeling. Except for the choir-conducting and software-developing and amateur speech-making. Never mind. Ollie and I are nothing alike. So, grab your chalkboard, make room for the dragon at the back of the class, and enjoy the story. Squonk
1: and the Horde of Apprentices by P. M. Butler On his first day as Wendell the wizard's apprentice, Squonk the dragon was learning his first lesson. Fire was beautiful. Fire glowed red and orange and yellow and danced around and smelled nice and went crackle and pop and was by far the most fascinating thing Squonk had yet seen in his young life. Most dragons learn to love fire as soon as they come out of their eggs, when their parents celebrate their birth by spitting great gouts of flame into the sky. Dragons often use fire to express joy. Or anger. Or surprise. Or boredom. Or the fact that they're still breathing. Dragons really like fire. But Squonk didn't even know he could breathe fire. That's because his adoptive mother... A little bluebird named Mrs. Tweedlechirp didn't know he could breathe fire either, and even if she did, she certainly would have forbid him from ever doing it. Like most forest creatures, Mrs. Tweedlechirp didn't like fire one little bit. But her not-so-little boy was, indeed, a dragon. And while there are some things you can teach out of a dragon... "'Isn't it beautiful?' Squonk asked a raccoon named Slowfingers. Slow Fingers was Squonk's best friend, which was why he was currently sitting on the edge of Squonk's hat. Um, Slow Fingers said, as the pile of logs snapped and sizzled and burned. Dunno if I'd say beautiful, exactly. There's another word. Can't think of it. It's right there on the tip of my snout. Like Squonk, Slowfingers Fingers was Wendell the Wizard's apprentice. Wendell stood behind them in the glade near the largest tree in the world with all his other apprentices, Whitepaw the wolf, and Miss Pounce the bobcat, and Mrs. Honeylog the bear, and Bristletongue the raccoon, and—and a whole lot of animals, all of them wearing the wide, twiggy, upside-down nest hats that showed they were learning how to be wizards. Squonk and Slowfingers were in charge of building the fire so they could all brew a potion— Wendell was explaining to his new apprentices just what this meant and what it had to do with being a wizard. He was starting with what he called Lesson 1. What is magic? Squonk had no idea what magic was. So far, he only had a list of what it wasn't. No, Wendell said. The cauldron won't actually catch on fire. And that's because it's magic, right? asked Mr. Snuffles, a badger. No, Wendell said, "'It's not magic, it's metal. Metal doesn't burn.' The fire got bigger. Squonk put another log into it. "'But the fire, that's magic, right?' asked a sparrow named Flit. "'No,' Wendell grumbled. "'Fire isn't magic. We've been over that already. Several times.' Oh, come on, said a raccoon named Bristle Tongue. I've never seen anything like that before. It's gotta be magic. Squonk didn't like Bristle Tongue. He was mean and liked insulting Slow Fingers. Squonk would have told him to shut up, but the fire was so beautiful he forgot how to speak. Fire got bigger the more stuff you put into it. This fire had started from nothing and had already grown as tall as Wendell. He put a few more logs in. Fire isn't magic, Wendell said. Again, fire is perfectly natural. Magic is perfectly natural, asked an old bear named Mrs. Honeylog. I've seen this fire thing before, Mr. Wizard, and I assure you it's bad news. Not natural at all. Squonk had no idea what Mrs. Honeylog could possibly be talking about. So he started feeding more logs into the fire, one after the other, and it grew, and grew, and grew. "'Can it kill you?' asked despairing Nevermore, a raven with blue feathers around her eyes. "'I bet fire can kill lots of things, can't it?' Ravens were weird. "'When it gets out of control,' Wendell said, "'then yes, it's a lot of trouble, but that's not—are we all wizards yet?' Chip-chip, tick-tick, and his squirrel friends were back. They'd been running in and out of the glade all afternoon, listening to Wendell until they got bored, which didn't take long. Wendell made a kind of growly, whimpery noise. "'Say, Squonk,' Slowfingers said as Squonk piled more logs into the fire. "'I think I figured out what word I was looking for.' "'Eh?' Hey, squonk said, barely hearing him. "'Terrifying. Fire's terrifying.' I'm, uh, gonna run for my life now and hide in a hole, okay? Uh Uh-huh, Squonk said, his mind deep within the flames, as Slowfingers scampered down his neck and off his shoulder to the ground. Wow, how big could a fire get? He wanted to find out. Where are you going, dumb fingers? asked Bristletongue. Hey, Wendell said from behind him as Slowfingers ran off. Where do you think you're... Yeah! And at that moment, Wendell's gathered horde of animal apprentices got their very first demonstration of an actual magic spell, and Squonk learned his first actual lesson about magic. Magic is wet. Once the fire had been extinguished, Wendell the wizard bade his apprentices good day and stepped inside the largest tree in the world, where he'd carved out a home for himself. He was calm and dignified, the way a powerful wizard ought to be. He walked into his living room and put his voice in his pocket. And then he started shouting. He didn't make a sound. That was the point of tucking his voice safely in his pocket, after all. He threw his pointy wizard's hat, a real hat made from cloth, faded, worn blue cloth that had seen much better days, but cloth just the same and not grass and twigs and mud and other such nonsense, across the room. He pulled at his hair. "'stomped his foot, and smacked his head against the wooden wall. "'He said, "'Well, it's hard to say precisely what words he was shouting, "'his voice being in his pocket and all, "'but whatever he said, it was probably very, very rude. "'After carrying on like this much longer than a wizard "'who was either calm or dignified ought to have gone on, "'he took a deep breath, flopped down into a wooden chair, "'and put his voice back in his throat where it belonged.' It's madness, he moaned. He hadn't even wanted one apprentice, let alone, merciful gods, how many apprentices had he just saddled himself with anyway? His brain realized that counting his apprentices would just make Wendell very depressed and refused to work on the subject any more. Wizard brains are often that annoying kind with minds of their own that think about what they want to think about and are tough to persuade to do anything else. He could quit. He should quit. Tomorrow, he should just march out there and tell that infuriating menagerie that the very notion of a bunch of of birds and raccoons and bears and wolves and things being wizards was just too absurd to even discuss, and they should just be on their way and do whatever it was they did when they weren't annoying him. "'But Wendell,' his colossal green neighbor squonk, would say, "'why not? They did all the stuff you said I had to do to become a wizard.' "'and each and every one of them is my bestest friend in the whole entire world, "'and if you don't give me a good reason why they can't become wizards too, "'I'm going to get very angry and set you on fire and eat you. Grrrr!' "'To be fair, Squawk would never actually say anything like that last bit, and Wendell knew it. But Wendell had met other dragons. The threat of Squonk growing angry, setting him on fire, and eating him always felt very real to him, even if Squonk's mother had raised him not to eat anything that could talk back. Ah, yes. Mrs. Tweedlechirp, Squonk's belligerent, twittering little adoptive mother.
2: Blah, 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 she'd say. Wizards are nothing but trouble, and blah, 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 and that makes you a very bad person because you promised you'd teach him wizardry and reading and arithmetic and history and geography and a whole bunch of other things that I didn't even know I was asking for because I'm just a stupid tiny bluebird who keeps outsmarting you. Blah!
1: Wendell knew perfectly well that Mrs. Tweedlechirp sounded nothing like this either, but imagining her saying blah a lot soothed him for some odd reason. Wendell was tired of being outsmarted, and far too proud to go back on his word. "'If you can't go around something,' his own teacher had once said, "'go through it.' So what was the way through this? Wendell had no idea, but he hoped that if he sat in his chair long enough, the answer would find him. In the upper branches of the largest tree in the world rested a bird's nest built for a dragon— The tiny bluebird responsible for the nest fluttered around within it. She hadn't built the nest herself, of course. She'd been the one who taught its builder, her son, everything he knew about nest-making. Mrs. Tweedlechirp was so excited. Squonk would be back soon from his first day of learning to be a wizard. Was he actually a wizard yet? She had no idea if learning to be a wizard only took you a single day, or two, or even ten— She heard the enormous whooshing noise of her little boy's wings. She flew over to her tiny corner of the nest and tucked some twigs back into place, as though she'd been tending to it all day. Hey, Mom. The enormous branch bent as Squonk settled in. When she'd been a young bird, Mrs. Tweedlechirp would never have imagined a branch this big bending for any reason. You learned all sorts of things when your son was a dragon.
2: Hello, dear,
1: she said calmly. Funny, Squonk didn't look nearly as excited as he'd been when he'd left that morning. In fact, he looked very wet.
2: How was your first day of learning to be a wizard?
1: Squonk adjusted the silly upside-down nest on his head. Not so good. Mrs. Tweedlechirp frowned. She had her suspicions about that Wendell.
2: And why do you say that?
1: And Squonk told her all about his day. "'about how he and his friend Slowfingers "'had spent all their time building a fire "'and how Wendell had put it out all at once "'and had seemed very upset doing it. "'She didn't like fire, not one little bit. "'Fire was nothing but trouble. "'But she'd long believed much the same about wizards. "'Maybe they had something to do with each other?'
2: "'So what does fire have to do with being a wizard?'
1: "'She asked. "'Dunno,' Squonk said but it's not magic. It looks magic and beautiful and pretty and dancey and goes pop and has the most wonderful smell. Dear, she said,
2: are you sure Wendell is really teaching you magic, that he's not just fluttering you around?
1: Squonk nodded. He's trying, I think. You know how he looks when he's unhappy?
2: I believe I do, all red and scrunched.
1: "'Yeah, he looked like that a lot, "'and him turning all red and scrunchy isn't magic either,' I asked. "'Hmm. "'Mrs. Tweedlechirp couldn't abide trickery, "'but saw no shame in honest failure. "'Unless it was trickery disguised as honest failure, "'which that Wendell was no doubt sneaky enough to think of. "'Still, she wasn't certain he was breaking his word.
2: "'Well,' she said, Perhaps it's a bit harder than he thought.
1: Yeah, probably, Squonk said.
2: Then we should be patient,
1: she said, as much to herself as to her boy.
2: He's a very clever fellow. I'm sure he'll figure something out.
1: I think it's because there are so many of us Prentices, and just the one of him, Squonk said. I bet... And all of a sudden, Squonk's face had that funny look he got when a particularly interesting idea hit him in the head, all bug-eyed and puckered. "'That's it. Wendell just needs some help. Gotta go. Bye, Mom!' And he was gone, leaving behind a gust of wind and a gently swaying nest. Mrs. Tweedlechirp had to give Wendell credit for one thing. Her son seemed to do an awful lot of thinking on account of him, She suspected this was a very good thing. As Wendell sat in his chair all night and all morning, pondering just what the blazes he was going to do the next day, a good answer did not find him. A really nasty headache, however, did. The headache dug in its claws as he fixed himself some coffee, put his hat back on, and stumbled out into the glade outside his home, where his accursed horde of apprentices sat waiting for him under the noonday sun. The headache gave his brain a playfully cruel swat. "'Hi, Wendell,' Squonk said. The other animals made growly, chirpy, chittery greetings as well. "'Perhaps I could forget the spell that lets me understand what they're saying,' he thought. Surely I've got a forgetting spell lying around somewhere in my library. How dangerous would it be to use it on myself? All right, extremely, but still. Good afternoon, Wendell sighed. Any moment now he was going to think of something that would prevent today from being the same flaming disaster as yesterday. Any moment. I've got some great news, Squonk said. Wendell's headache twinged. Hoping the news would actually be great seemed like a waste of perfectly good hope. "'Yes?' "'I got you some assistance,' Squonk nodded to a nearby shrub, with three owls perched on it. Wendell didn't know why things were about to get worse, just that they were. Squonk said, "'I asked them if they'd like to help you teach magic, and they said yes. Isn't that great?' Wendell pinched the bridge of his nose while his headache cackled. Squonk, what makes you think they know any magic at all, let alone enough to help me teach it? Because owls know everything, Squonk said it as if it were the most obvious thing in the world. Everybody knows that owls know everything, said the annoying knot in squonks hat raccoon. How wonderful, Wendell said. This is Mr. Horribly, Squonk said, nodding toward the screech owl. He can see the future. I have seen your future, Mr. Horribly proclaimed. The entire glade fell silent. And you shall die, the gathered creatures gasped. Horribly. Whoa, Squonk said. I'm so sorry, Wendell. Wendell now feared that if he took his hand away from his nose, the headache would thwack his brain clean out of his skull. "'Thank you, Honored Oracle,' he said. "'I'm sure—' "'What's an oracle?' came a chittering voice. "'Oh, merciful gods, the squirrels were back.' "'An oracle is somebody who can see the future,' Wendell said. "'Squonk, please, an oracle is somebody who can what now?' Wendell glared at the squirrels and gave serious thought to setting them on fire, but turned back to the owls instead. "'And you two? I suppose you also have names and alleged areas of expertise?' The snowy owl, Mr. Tree Speaker, claimed to know all there was to know about trees, and the barn owl, Mrs. Loudwater, specialized in everything.' Hoping that they at least wouldn't make the situation any worse, Wendell swallowed his pride and got on with it. "'All right,' he said. "'No practical demonstration today. Let's just focus on the basics. Lesson one. What is magic?' "'Flying is magic,' Mrs. Loudwater proclaimed. "'And you should never think about flying while you're doing it. You'll forget how you're doing it, and that hurts.' "'Trees hate you when you're flying,' Mr. Tree speaker said. "'They get jealous. That's why they hurt you when you crash into them. "'They'll hurt you horribly!' Wendell's headache doubled over laughing at him. Mrs. Tweedlechirp had long believed that wizards were nothing but trouble, and actually meeting a wizard had not done a lot to change her opinion. So, when she went to check on Squonk that afternoon, she was disappointed, but not particularly surprised, to find Wendell missing. In his place, a trio of owls babbled their usual owlish balderdash to her son and to some of his friends, and many of their neighbors, and... Goodness! There were going to be an awful lot of wizards in the forest when Wendell was done." She found him sitting on a root with his back to their tree, hat in his hands, staring at a little patch of plants he grew. He called it his garden. Wendell started speaking as she perched on a beanstalk. "'In some lands,' he said, "'the bluebird is a symbol of happiness and contentment. I honestly have no idea why.' Mrs. Tweedlechirp chose to pretend that wasn't an insult.
2: "'A good day to you, too, Mr. Wizard.' May I ask what you're doing here and not teaching my son as we agreed?
1: Because I don't have to. He gave her a smile so big and fake that she took a startled hop backwards. The owls have taken over for me. I just stepped out for a quick rest while they instruct your son and half the forest. I'm sure they have everything well in hand or well in beak or wing. Whatever. Mrs. Tweedlechirp, who was not accustomed to sarcasm, wasn't sure what to make of this.
2: Did you actually listen to what the owls were saying? Pure
1: genius, every word, he said. Why, I had no idea that green mice taste exactly like frogs, or that fish stay in the water because they're afraid of what the trees might do to them, or that when the sun rises tomorrow, it shall rise horribly.
2: Why have you left my son's instruction to owls?
1: Wendell sighed. Because they cannot possibly be doing a worse job of it than I was. Mrs. Tweedlechirp cocked her head at Wendell.
2: Mr. Wizard, I think you're exaggerating.
1: Mrs. Tweedlechirp, I think you're mistaken. Taking on all those animals as apprentice wizards, it's just not possible. Mrs. Tweedlechirp glared at him without a trace of sympathy. When you raise a dragon as your son, other people's notions of what isn't possible tend to sound rather lazy.
2: Perhaps there's some piece of magic you could use, she
1: suggested. Won't work, he said. If you're going to teach somebody something, you have to do it the hard way. You can't just magically pound ideas directly into somebody's head. The ideas don't stay. And it's bad for the head.
2: Well, I'm sure you'll think of something.
1: She used the voice she used to let people know that she was giving them an order, but being polite about it.
2: You give me your word, and I expect you to find a way to keep it.
1: Wendell scowled at her. "'I'm sure I will,' he said.
2: "'Perhaps you're going about this the wrong way,' she offered. "'Not that I mean to tell you your business, but maybe teaching them all to be wizards at once is a bit more than should be asked of one fellow.'
1: "'And how do you propose I do it, then?'
2: "'Why, a few at a time, of course,' she said. Then, once you've got them all wizarded up, you instruct the next bunch.
1: Wendell gave her a look that was downright strange. His eyes were wide and his mouth hung open. He looked quite silly. Mrs. Tweedlechirp, he said, how long do you think it will take me to teach your son, or anybody else, to become a wizard?
2: Well, "'Not having learned to be a wizard, I'm certain I don't know,' she said. "'A few days at least, maybe even as many as ten.
1: Wendell's eyes got huge. "'As many as—'
2: "'That's not including the time it will take to teach him of the world at large, of course,' she said. "'Don't think I've forgotten about that part of our arrangement. "'I expect teaching him that may well take even longer than the wizardy bits.'
1: Wendell gave her a whole lot of that strange look before finally saying, Yes, maybe even twenty days. He got to his feet. Thank you, madam. And he strode back towards the clearing where her son was waiting. You're welcome. She flew away, not entirely certain of what he'd been thanking her for, but Wendell was so bad at being polite she thought she ought to encourage him. "'Squonk learned many interesting things that day. "'He learned that trees are shy "'and will only grow bigger when you're not looking at them. "'He learned that if you hoot at the moon long enough, "'it will get scared and hide. "'He learned that anything that happens "'is probably going to happen horribly. "'But he didn't know how any of this related to being a wizard. "'Perhaps,' Slowfingers suggested, "'trees hate magic?' Or magic hates trees? Maybe magic makes things happen horribly? Squonk thought about that one. It certainly would be consistent with Mr. Horribly's teachings. But then why are we learning it? Don't know, Slowfinger said. This is like chasing my own tail. Whenever I get closer, it just gets further away. Squonk, who had a chaseable tail of his own, knew exactly what Slowfingers meant. "'Magic sure is tricky.' Wendell walked back into the glade with a determined look on his face. Squonk opened his mouth to ask if magic was like chasing your tail, but remembered Wendell didn't have a tail of his own, and then Wendell was talking. Loudly. "'All right!' "'Wendell said, cutting off Mr. Tree Speaker's lecture on deceiving oak trees. "'Thank you very much for your help, but I think I can handle things from here. "'Fly along now.' "'I'm not done speaking,' Mr. Tree Speaker said, "'and I don't like being interrupted. "'And you have been interrupted horribly.' "'Did you know?' Wendell said, that Mrs. Tweedlechirp thinks owls don't know what they're talking about. The entire glade gasped, especially Squonk. "'Doesn't that offend you?' Wendell asked the owls. It most certainly did. Squonk could tell from how their feathers were ruffled. "'Doesn't that offend you so much that you want to fly off and have a few words with her?' "'Why, yes, it did.' "'Though Squonk couldn't help but notice the three owls flew south "'instead of towards Squonk's house, which was a long ways straight up. "'All right, apprentices!' Wendell rubbed his hands together. "'I have a question for you. Who can tell me what a year is?' "'I can,' Bristletongue said. "'A year means the same thing as forever.' "'Wrong!' Wendell shouted triumphantly. "'Bristletongue folded his arms.' am not. A year is, I said, wrong, you smarmy little ring-tailed rodent. Wendell's voice sounded furious, but his face looked like he was overjoyed. This is a year. Wendell drew a circle in the air, and because it was magic, it stayed there. He pointed, and a little glowing dot like a firefly appeared at the bottom of the circle. Now this— he said, is where we are right now. Summer. Middle of summer. That's not summer, Bristletongue said. That's. Shut up! Wendell gave Bristletongue a long look. Bristletongue got embarrassed and tried to make himself smaller. Summer! Wendell returned his attention to the circle hanging in the air. He moved a finger and the little glowing dot started following the circle. Nice, warm, sunny summer. "'Day after day of it, until,' he made a gesture, "'and all of a sudden all the leaves on the trees around them "'slowly turned all different shades of orange, yellow, red. "'Autumn,' Wendell said. "'Days get shorter. "'Weather gets colder. "'Leaves change colors and fall. "'And indeed the leaves started falling. "'It was so impressive that not even Bristletongue had anything to say. "'And then it gets even colder.' "'Wendell said, because it's winter, and the snow's come. "'And it started snowing. "'Though it wasn't actually cold, and Squonk couldn't feel the snow, "'not even when there was suddenly a layer of it on everything. "'Must have been part of the magic. "'But the snow stops, and it melts. "'The snow stopped falling and vanished as suddenly as it had come. "'And then all the leaves grow back, and they did, and it's spring, and it was.' The little glowing dot was still going around the circle. And it gets warmer and warmer, Wendell said, until we're back to exactly where we started from, middle of summer. And the little dot stopped right where it had started. That is a year. Now then, who can tell me what a year has to do with learning magic? Nobody said anything. What? Wendell said. Nobody? But yesterday you all had so much. Is that how long it takes? Slowfingers asked. Wendell's head snapped towards Squonk. Who said that? I did, Slowfingers said meekly from Squonk's hat. I'm sorry. I thought you wanted somebody to say something. Squonk knew that couldn't be the answer. Could it? Wendell said, you're not quite right, Mr. Hat Raccoon. Phew, Squonk thought. Of course magic didn't take a year to learn. Nothing could take. Learning to be a wizard, Wendell said, takes years. Wendell held on to the S like a very happy snake. The creatures in the glade gasped. Squonk couldn't have heard that right. Years? Years? As in, like, a year, but even more than just one? Yes, Wendell said. What, did you think I'd just say some magic word and poof? You'd all be wizards? Well, Squonk said, actually, yeah, kinda. Wendell opened his mouth to yell some more, then snapped it shut. It doesn't work that way. Then how does it work? Slowfingers asked. "'You have to learn,' Wendell said. "'You have to think. "'I'll show you how things work. "'You'll help me with spells and potions and such, "'and then you'll have to do them yourselves. "'And guess what? "'You'll do them wrong, "'because everybody does them wrong on the first try, "'and on the second, "'and usually on the third, too, "'and eventually you'll run out of ways to do it wrong, "'and maybe, just maybe, "'you'll actually start doing it right.' Whoa, Squonk said. That sounds hard. Yes, it is, Wendell snarled. And guess what? It's even worse than you think. Because your mother asked me to, because of a promise I made to a little bluebird, I'm going to be teaching you all kinds of other things. I'm going to teach you history, geography, teach you about the world and the creatures and the people outside of this forest. I'm going to teach you math and... His chest heaved. I'm going to teach you how to read. May the gods help me. I'm actually going to teach you mad creatures how to read. What's teach you how to read? Asked Chip-Chip-Tick-Tick. Nothing you need to worry about, Wendell growled. Because in order to learn to read, you actually have to listen to somebody without getting bored halfway through. And so help me, if you ask me another question I just answered five seconds ago, I'm going to set your tail on fire. Why don't I need to? Wa- chip, chip, tick, tick. Stopped, thought about it for a second, and then ran back into the trees, followed by his squirrel friends. Becoming a wizard, Wendell said requires more than just a silly hat. It takes work, and lots of it, and after all that hard work, it might turn out that you don't like it, or that you're not any good at it. "'So why bother?' asked Mrs. Honeylog, the bear. "'Because if you do like it, if it turns out you are any good at it, you get to understand how a piece of the world works,' And you get to do things, create things, instead of just having to watch things happen around you. Wendell's face wasn't so red now, and his voice sounded strange. In fact, he sounded... happy? Becoming a wizard, he said, will be by far the hardest thing any of you have ever done. Now run along and think about whether or not you really want to do it. And if any of you do, I'll be here tomorrow at noon. And with that, he made an opening appear in the tree, which closed after he stepped through it. The creatures of the glade sat in stunned silence for several long minutes. Well, Slowfingers whispered to Squonk, I guess we finally know what magic is. Really? Squonk said. I think I missed that part. Magic, Slowfingers said, is hard work. That night, Wendell slept, instead of banging his head against the inside of a tree and staying up all night obsessing over a problem he didn't know how to solve. Disappointed, his headache slunk off sometime after midnight and looked for somebody else to torment. When Wendell got up, he half-hoped he'd solved all his problems. He'd promised to teach, but if Squonk decided it was too much trouble to learn, then he was off the hook. Sadly, when he stepped out of the tree at noon, he found Squonk waiting for him, along with a few of the creatures who'd once infested the glade. A raccoon, a bear, a wolf, a raven, and a bat. You all heard what I said yesterday, right? Wendell asked. Years? Hard work? I wasn't joking about any of it. Squonk nodded. Yes, we did. Believed every word of it, Mr. Wizard, sir, said a raccoon down by Squonk's feet. At first Wendell thought it was that one annoying little twerp, but... You're that hat raccoon, aren't you? Wendell said. The raccoon nodded. What's your name? Slow fingers, sir. And why do you want to do all that work to become a wizard? Well, I, um... Slow Fingers held his hat in his paws and was fidgeting with it, and Wendell couldn't help but notice how much raccoon paws looked like human hands. "'I've been thinking about it a lot, sir. At first I wanted to be a wizard cause I'm a lousy raccoon. Raccoons are smart and clever and fast and, well, I'm not. Maybe I'd be good at being a wizard.' "'But what you said yesterday about understanding how a piece of the world works? "'That sounded really great. "'I'd like to understand something like that, too.' "'Wendell recalled the reasons he'd heard from the normal human apprentices he'd had. "'Cosmedar says I'm a useless lump, and I'm not cut out for real work.' "'Because if I know magic, girls will like me.' So I can be the most powerful wizard of all time and rule the world. Compared to all that, teaching a raccoon who wanted knowledge for its own sake sounded almost, almost reasonable. And what about the rest of you? he asked. Because, Squonk said, I've seen you do stuff, and it's really great. Like that thing where you showed us what a year is, or that thing you do where you can make yourself look like other things. I want to be able to do stuff like that, too. Being a wizard looks fun. It has its moments, Wendell conceded. The bear, Mrs. Honeylog, said, Because my children are all grown, and I'm too old to have any more. I'm tired of laying around doing nothing. The wolf, Whitepaw, said, Because this all sounds simply fabulous, and I know I'll be biting my own foot later if I don't give it a sniff now while I have the chance. The raven, despairing nevermore, said, Because magic sounds incredibly dangerous, like fire. I'd like to hear about all the ways you can die from doing it wrong. And the bat, Mr. Nightfang Slayer of a Thousand Insects, said, Because bats are perfect at everything we try, and if a bat learns to become a wizard, he'll be the most powerful wizard ever and take over the world! Ah, well, there was one in every class. And to his amazement, Wendell thought that trying to teach these animals sounded interesting. Wizard brains think about what they want to think about, and what they usually want to think about is problems. When the problems are too big, they get frustrated. How can I move a mountain with a soup spoon? Or how can I build a stadium out of leaves and leftover twine? Or even how am I going to teach several dozen forest critters and a dragon to be wizards? Giving a wizard brain that kind of problem is just cruel. But give that brain a problem that's small enough to be solved, but just big enough that the solution isn't obvious... I have to point out, Wendell said, I honestly don't know if it can be done. You'd be the first ever wizards of your kind. First raccoon wizard, first bear wizard, first wolf, first raven, first bat. There are going to be some problems. Like what? Mrs. Honeylog asked. Wendell held up his hands and wiggled his fingers. A lot of wizarding requires hands of some sort— I know dragon paws are enough like hands that Squonk can fake it, and I suspect raccoon paws are close enough, too. The rest of you... He shrugged. I'm ready to try. Whitepaw licked his chops. You don't know if you can catch the rabbit until you chase it. Why do you chase rabbits? Squonk asked. Wolf game. The rest of the animals were willing, too. All right, Wendell said. Everybody have a seat. Or a perch, or whatever. Lesson one. What is magic? Nobody said anything stupid. Pleasantly surprised, Wendell kept talking. And that's how Wendell the wizard wound up with a dragon, a raccoon, a bear, a wolf, a raven, and a bat as his apprentices. It turned out that teaching them magic wasn't as hard as he expected. It was actually a great deal harder." But that's another story.
0: And welcome back. I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast how Escape Pod, Steve Ely, P.M. Butler, and Squonk really made an impact on me. They're why I'm here talking to you because Steve took the time to tell us stories every week. Even though Steve's not running Escape Artists anymore, he's the reason a lot of us are doing what we're doing, and we'd all like to thank him for it. At the end of every episode now, I thank you for letting us share another story with you. And I really mean that. Everyone you hear at these podcasts is passionate about the art of telling stories. It's not always easy. We all put a lot of our free time in here because we love what we do. In fact, we want to give you more stories. In mid to late October, I'm going to be emailing out exclusive stories written by Greg Van Eekout, M.K. Hobson, Samantha Henderson, Mer Lafferty, Amal El-Motar, Alistair Stewart, Anna Schwin, Tina Connolly, yours truly, and more. It is for a limited time only, but I'm extending it until the first week of October so that lovely old month can get himself comfortably settled in his chair. But if you want tricks or treats... You've got to be signed up and have left a comment on the I Heart Escape Artist thread by October 10th. We'll see you there. Feedback for episode 117, Deborah Kalin's The Wages of Salt, read by Rashida Smith. The terribly exciting adventure story of an archaeologist and changelings. This one generally didn't go over so well. Aussie Cat said, I had a hard time with this one, it wasn't clear to me what the archaeologists were digging up or why it was valuable. Basically, at first I assumed a typical dig unearthing a long dead city of a long dead civilization, but there was surviving cloth and the body was stated to be recently dead, so if this stuff isn't old, why does it have value to the academics? Because they need to study the theromorphs? Are they a new phenomenon? What were the researchers hoping to learn? While I was trying to figure out these questions, the story bits about worker unrest were zooming past, and I really had no reason to care. Halya disagreed, saying, I enjoy the conflict between the strongly ethical person and her obvious desire to do well financially. The story questions that line, asks, At what point do we set aside ethics in favor of profit? Or do we truly? Is there ever really such a line? Atans asked, the leader of the diggers, the one with the connections to the collectors, seemed very unsurprised by the discovery that the kid is a theramorph, apparently already knew what the salt plains were for. Why didn't he inform the researcher? Why did she not do proper research and actually talk to the people who worked there? I also really didn't like that the theramorphs could suddenly speak toward the end, and seemed to be non-hostile to humans that approached them. Why did the university send people to dig in the salt rather than send people to interview the creatures they're studying? Thank you to everyone for those comments. So, I guess all in all, several people felt unsatisfied. Oh well. I'm hoping they enjoyed the character-driven pieces we ran over the next couple weeks more, but hey, we'll wait and find out how that went next time. Hopefully, the extra stories those commenters receive help, because... Each of those commoners I quoted has already signed up in the I Heart Escape Artist thread to receive their exclusive stories next month. What are you waiting for? If you like what we're doing and can spare a few bucks, please swing by podcastle.org and make a donation. We rely on our audience to pay our authors so we can send wizards into the world teaching dragons and squirrels alike about magic and fire and stuff. If you don't have the finances to do that but like what we're doing... Tell a friend or blog, tweet or Facebook about us or whatever new social network thing all you kids are into. That's all we have for now. Thanks so much for letting all of us at Podcastle share another story with you. We'll be back next time when we kick off a month of Halloween with one of the granddaddies of ghost hunting. None other than Carnacki himself. Until then, remember if you play with fire, fire is awesome. And we'll see you next time.
2: You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Albert Einstein said, It is the supreme art of the teacher to awaken joy in creative expression and knowledge.
2: Isn't it beautiful?